It's Philosophy Talk. Amendment 2. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Two centuries ago, our forefathers drafted an amendment with a vague meaning about arms and militia. The only thing more bizarre about America than our gun laws is our lack of gun laws. I'd like to buy your deadliest gun, please. Aisle 6, next to the sympathy cards. A gun is basically a tool for making small holes in distant animals, people, and property. How can owning one be an inalienable right? The words regulated and militia are in the first sentence. I don't think the framers were thinking of three guys in a Dodge Durango. You don't really know what the framers were thinking, do you? No. If my gun protects my life and liberty and makes me quite happy, what's your problem? Our guest is Hugh LaFollette from the University of South Florida in St. Petersburg. Gun Control. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. If you enjoy our program, there are lots of ways you can support what we do. Subscribe to our enormous archive of past episodes. Buy subscriptions for the thinkers in your life. Purchase someone a mug toter tea at our new online shop. Or make a tax-deductible donation by going to philosophytalk.org. Please do your part to help keep us on the air and online. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford. That's where Ken teaches philosophy, and I did for 40 years. Today, we're thinking about philosophy and gun control. Ken, America is awash in guns. Some people think that's a good thing. Others passionately disagree. Guns and gun control are clearly hot-button political issues. But what's the philosophical question? Well, here's one, John. Why should the citizens of a democratic society be armed to the teeth to begin with? How does gun ownership, widespread gun ownership, advance the common good? What doesn't the Second Amendment answer that question? The wisdom of our founding fathers, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Ugh, only in America. Other liberal democracies don't see guns that way, and they're right. Look, the Second Amendment aside, there's just no good philosophical or moral justification for treating the right to keep and bear arms as a fundamental, uninfringible human right. Not in a free democratic society. What, don't you believe in the right of self-defense? Well, of course I do. What, doesn't the right to bear arms follow directly from the right of self-defense? Well, haven't you read your John Locke? John, when you consent to enter the social contract and allow yourself to be governed by the state, he says you wholly transfer your inherent right of self-defense to the state. And that's why we have, you know, courts and cops and armies and all that jazz, John. Yeah, I've read Locke, and so did the Founding Fathers. A lot of good that would do me if somebody breaks into my house. Wait for the government? No thanks. They put a right to keep and bear arms in the Constitution for a good reason. Oh, come on. They did it just because they had to make certain compromises with those darn slave-owning Southerners. Okay, Ken, I'm willing to grant you that the right to own a gun isn't necessarily a fundamental right. But it's at least a derivative right. I'm not sure what you're getting at. Tell me more. 
Well, take the right to free speech. It's not worth much if you're allowed to speak, but not to publish, broadcast, or nowadays tweet, whatever that is, and email. Maybe you don't have a fundamental right to tweet or email, but you have a derived right, no, don't you? I know, I know, I don't see how that helps justify a right to uh, bear guns. You want the power to uh, shoot people who try to silence you or something? Is that what you're getting at? No, Ken, you're missing the point. Big surprise. Yes, we have a fundamental right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But these don't amount to much unless you can defend yourself against those who are going to deprive you of those things, including the government. I might add. Ergo, you have a derivative right to guns as a means of securing your more fundamental rights. I, I don't agree. Look, when it comes to securing fundamental rights, guns are the problem. They're not the solution. Living in a society in which every miscreant or malcontent has the power to kill diminishes my right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't secure it. Well, just because people have the power to kill doesn't mean they have the right to kill. Driving an automobile gives you the power to kill. You can run over people, but it doesn't give you the right to do so. Oh, but look, there's a huge difference between guns and cars. Cars aren't designed to kill people. Guns are. That's all they're for, killing people. Nevertheless, we trust most people not to use their cars to kill. And why can't we trust most gun owners not to use their guns to kill, except in the case of extreme self-defense? Oh, come on, Don. Trust only goes so far and take cars. We license car drivers. We insist that they be trained and insured. We don't allow nutcases to drive. We tax cars. We keep careful track of who owns what car. Now, are you willing to have analogous safeguards for guns, too, John? If you will admit that some people really should have the right to a gun, then I'll accept those safeguards. Think of an old person living alone in the woods or a family in a neighborhood full of criminals. Police protection is often too little and too late. But look, John, other societies get by without anybody, not even the police, having guns. So why can't we? Well, because of the Second Amendment. Oh. It's part of our national culture. God, that again. Look, exactly how the Founding Fathers, in their infinite non-wisdom, I say, ended up with that nightmare of an amendment? That's not a pretty story, dude. Well, so I understand. We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, to speak with a gun law expert about the evolution of this right to keep and bear arms. She files this report. We've all seen movies about the wild, wild west. Charlton Heston, John Wayne... Randolph Scott, shootouts at dawn, shootouts in smoky saloons over the ladies, shootouts all night long. In truth, the Wild West was much less violent than people remember. Adam Wrinkler is a law professor at the University of California, Los Angeles. He says the old American frontier actually had a lot of gun laws. Places like Dodge City, Kansas, or Tombstone, Arizona, or Deadwood, South Dakota, you had to check your guns. So visitors would turn them over to the local marshal, who'd often give them a little token that they could come back and reclaim their gun. Kind of like checking your coat at the opera. In the U.S., as long as there's been a constitution, there's been a right to bear arms. But we've also always had gun control. The Founding Fathers who wrote the Second Amendment did not believe that there was a libertarian license for anyone to have any gun anywhere they wanted. 
and in fact they supported a wide range of different kinds of gun regulations. Both slaves and free blacks were barred from having guns, as were white loyalists. Racist and political regulations, but regulations nonetheless. Brinkler says the Founding Fathers wrote the Second Amendment so citizens could go home, grab their guns, and be ready to fight for their country in an instant. But by the mid-1800s, some of these citizen soldiers became repurposed as slave patrols. They would use these local militias to capture slaves that had run away and to return them back uh, and to otherwise instill fear in slaves so that they wouldn't escape. Soon after the Civil War, the Ku Klux Klan was formed with the goal of re-establishing white supremacy. In the South, African Americans had never been allowed to own guns before the Civil War. But in the Civil War, many African Americans got their hands on guns in the South. Some served in Union Army units, and they were allowed to keep their guns after the war, and thought that they would have guns to defend themselves against white racists. Those white racists were determined to take those guns away, feeling that if blacks were denied the ability to fight back, white supremacy would be that much easier to reestablish. Fast forward to 1967. African Americans are still being targeted by the KKK and the police. So the Black Panthers show up at the California State House exercising their right to bear arms. 30 of them with firearms in tow, loaded rifles, pistols, and shotguns. And they walked right into the legislative chamber, the California Assembly, while it was in session debating a law. The Black Panthers were protesting a law being considered that day. And it was a gun control law. It was a law that was being pushed by California Republicans to try to make it harder for the Black Panthers to carry their guns in public and to intimidate police officers and others. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense calls upon the American people in general and the black people in particular to take careful note of the racist California legislature, which is now considering legislation aimed at keeping the black people disarmed and powerless. Republicans and conservatives at the time come out strongly against the Black Panthers' gun ownership and strongly in favor of gun control. The story touches upon the close and troublesome relationship between gun regulation in American history and race and racism. There are some 320 million guns in America today. UCLA law professor Adam Wrinkler says whether we like it or not, those guns are here to stay. What we should be doing is focusing on what kinds of gun regulations we can have that are effective to try to reduce crime, limit access to guns by the mentally ill, and uh, otherwise make our communities safer for all Americans. Passing new regulations may not be easy, but Wrinkler says if the Wild West can have effective gun laws, so can 21st century America. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. To hear the rest of this program, head to philosophytalk.org. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking.